Hello there and welcome to episode 78 of the Twice Yearly Podcast based on West Bromwich Albion, the Hawthorne Debate Club. I am joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. Very generous to call it once a week, but we'll go with it. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother, Joe Clay. Hello. I think it's been an awfully long time since we last gathered at the debate club to converse about our beloved West Brom. In fact, I think it's probably the first time I've spoken to Joe since the last podcast about two and a half months ago. Obviously, Alex, we get to um, sit on each of us laps at the Albion, which is lovely, and watch it together. But it has been an awfully long time. We've just been doing some pre-podcast calculations, and it, it was... I think the last one was Huddersfield. How many games did you say we played in the elapsed period, the eon that has passed by? We've played 11. 11 games and dinosaurs have gone extinct since we last spoke about West Bromwich Albion. And it's it's fair to say that there's been an uptick in performances. Everyone seems to be a little bit like okay with situations on the field everyone's a bit excited even off the field dare we say in hushed tones that things are looking a little bit brighter than they were 11 games ago and I think it was probably like 13 games since Joe last made his appearance on the debate club we were is it too early to start conspiracy theories flooding the the conversation so early Joe you had a little bit of a, a theory as to so early on I guess why there's been an uptick in performances you would care to elaborate for our, our dear listeners? I think it correlates with our non-podcast. They might have been listening to it in the uh, dressing room beforehand mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, listening to our depressing tones and it really impacted them on the pitch. There definitely comes a weight of expectation with episodes that we put out there into like the atmosphere. And uh, You're right, I mean... the. the the data speaks for itself. We don't bring out a podcast for 11 games and Albion go on a, a kind of unparalleled, well, a run of form that is only paralleled by Corbin's beautiful run last year. Alex, do you concur? Are we actually somehow responsible for Albion um, deflating their performances while we record? Yeah, I think we've been putting too much pressure on the players, obviously, so we've got to be kind. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the more egotistical starts to a podcast that we recorded, especially after like a two month absence. But it is great to be here. We do love doing the podcast for anyone who is wondering where we've gone and disappeared. And there is no kind of strange activities going on. We merely have just been a bit busy. Joe has been on two holidays. Alex has been working hard. And so have I. So we've Come back tonight to talk. It's another international break, which again causes me no amount of stress, but it's been one international break into the next as far as the podcast is concerned. So we're going to try and talk about the most recent game, the Southampton game, but as well as kind of reflect on what's been already one third of the season. But we do love you all. We're grateful that you've come back to listen, that you haven't forgotten about us. And all we ask is that you kindly 
pass on the podcast to someone else that you think might enjoy listening to three gentlemen talk about West Bromwich Albion once every decade. And we really appreciate anyone who does share the podcast. If you're very, very generous, you could perhaps even share us on Instagram and stuff. And in a few months time, when we record our next podcast, the people you pass it on to will be so grateful. So should we get down to chatting about things? Obviously, the last time we spoke, we'd just been kind of bamboozled at home by Neil Warnock. This past weekend, we've gone to Southampton, a team that were fourth before the game kicked off and looking really good. In fact, I think they were one of the form teams in the league and a lot of people were saying that Russell Martin, who's famous for that like slick passing style of football at Swansea and People are saying it was kind of a real kind of preview of a playoff matchup, essentially. Um, and it started off kind of as many of us expected. It was a tough game, a tough battle. But really, as it's moved on, we've we've seen Albion hold their own and really come away unlucky. What did you make of the Southampton game, Joe? I think it was a really positive performance. Especially second half, um, I think there's reasons why the second half changed to a more positive. I think the first half was probably equal. Um, I can't understand how we didn't save that off the line. I think I'm not blaming Connor Townsend, but why is his foot behind the line? Doesn't make no sense, but it is what it is. Uh, I think the first half was uh, equal to each other out, and there's not much to say about the first half, but the second half, when Mowat came on, I think he changed the game for us. I think he was the basically the catalyst to potentially most of our uh, attacking plays, and it just he made us tick, didn't he? I think Okay and uh, Chalabar were a bit more defensive minded, and I think Mowit came on with that more attacking prowess, and he was doing nice little tricky runs, and uh, I got him mixed up with Sarmiento at one point. Uh, he was, he, was, he was doing stuff what I've never seen him do, but he must be using a bit of confidence, uh, especially coming off the bench like that. You know, some players don't do well with sitting on the bench when you play so well in the game before, but he came off like nothing had happened and he really changed the game for us. I think we were unlucky to lose, definitely. Uh, it was against the run of play. But against someone like Southampton, when they've got uh, Adam Armstrong, is it Adam Armstrong? It is, isn't it? I think they've got uh, two Armstrongs actually. Yeah, and Shay, they've got Shay Adams. They've got these strikers who can finish from nothing, and that's what they will do for the rest of the season. They'll win games that they shouldn't have won, and that's what we need to start doing. Kind of change, doing what they're doing. But I can't. I've got no qualms about it. We lost. But we put a good performance in, and against ninety nine percent of the league, we probably would have won uh, won that game. So it was a really good game, to be fair. Yeah, it's refreshing. It's such a change. I guess what we were talking about before was Albion winning games, but not necessarily kind of uh, setting the world alight in terms of style points. But now it definitely Southampton, particularly. Obviously, we haven't got the results, but there was definitely. There was no no bad feelings, no dark clouds or anything like that. Alex, uh, what did you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying watching the Albion at the moment. 
uh, after the uh, Hall game uh, where we won 3-1, uh, I got caught by uh, Johnny Drury of the Express and Star, uh, gave an, an interview. Uh, it's on YouTube somewhere. And, you know, I just look like I'm in dreamland, uh, comparing Dean Garner to Maradona, uh, which, I, you know, he's obviously not as good as Maradona, but he's a very good player. Um, he's that skillful, got loads of tricks up his sleeve. But, you know, I think Moat is a revelation this year. Uh, we've always known. I remember when he first joined and, he, he you know, he looked a real baller. Um, and I, I think he was carrying a, a knock before he went on loan to Middlesbrough, um, which was unfortunate. Uh, cause he, you know, he, he got a lot of uh, stick for not playing very well. And I think now he's, he's sort of, he's looking the real deal, looking the part, looking why we got so excited by him. Um, and then you just, you go across the pitch, you know, our defence at the moment with Kipre and Ajoy in particular, uh, Bartley's is reformed, uh, Peters, uh, and then even Furlong, he looks like he's a different player um, at the moment. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great time uh, to be an Albion fan at the moment. And I'm looking forward to the return of uh, DK and that Madger. Um, I think it's gonna, we're going to be a difficult team to stop. I, I think we were unlucky against Southampton because, uh, as you mentioned, they've got the uh, the two strong arms, um, and then you know they've got the, the the players they've got in their team. You know, you question whether you know how they've managed to keep hold of those players in the championship. You know, they're a formidable opponent, and I think they'll probably finish. Um, next to Leicester in the automatic spots come the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant at the moment. Love it. I mean, there's a real good feeling around the team and you get the sense. I know like they've been doing these Albion boys clips for the social media and stuff. And you, you just get a sense that there's a real a sense of squad harmony. And like, we haven't seen that in a few years at the Albion, not under Steve Bruce or Valerian Ishmael, not under Allardyce at all. There was, the closest thing you can get is to the promotion season under Slav Bilic, where there just seemed to be this real kind of excitement and energy amongst the players, and not just the football, but they seem to really, I don't know, they, they seem to be friends. Is that the right way? They seem to have really like have gelled as individuals. And I get that sense from the team presently. There seem to be um, a few figures in that dressing room that are kind of really like galvanizing, kind of like that sense of community and is it makes them very, very easy to root for. I think in the last 18 months, well, before Corbyn effective, let's put the kind of give credit where the credit is due before Corbyn. I think we even said on this podcast that there, there wasn't many players that you looked to in that squad and thought they're fan favorites. I think the squad is littered with them now. And I think, there's something really interesting that's happened perhaps even in this period more specifically since we last spoke Huddersfield to Southampton is that we've gone from being like barely being able to field 11 players that we were confident in to having about 15 to 16 players now that I think most fans, no matter what team sheet comes out, so, so, so long as there's some iteration of those 16 players, more often than not, we're happy. So even on uh, Saturday, we saw Chalaber come back in for Moat, despite what you said, Joe Moat had a very good game, but then Chalaber had a good game and was probably unlucky to lose his place. To, and so we're seeing this swapping in and out of pieces. We've been moving from a three to four. and It just shows how much like 
with that flexibility of tactics, how much confidence there's just surging through the team at the moment. Just looking at the statistics from the Southampton game, I know you two love XG, but our XG was 2.12 to their 1.08. And I felt watching that game, as you both said, particularly the second half, it wasn't just that I feel like we deserve to win. We were utterly dominant. We were just doing whatever we wanted, really. And they only looked dangerous in those brief moments where we weren't in complete control. And now we hit the bar and a number of times. And ultimately, I think perhaps if we were a, a, a tad more ruthless, I, I think we've scored plenty of goals. It's difficult to say we're not scoring enough goals. But a tad more ruthless... Um, some of these draws could have been wins and some of these losses could have been draws. And it, it's it's difficult to poke any fault with the job that Corbyn's done in the last 11 games at all. Um, and I think the fact that we're in and around the playoffs is going to be, I, I think it's where we'll ultimately end up, which is a huge contrast to not just the start of the season, but even, I don't know, a handful of games ago. Let's talk about some more of the the details, I guess. So the, I mean, if you want, we can cherry pick some moments over the the last few months. As I said, we're a third of the way through the season. Who stood out for you this season? I think we can talk about Corbin perhaps in a few moments' time. But um, is there any any individuals that you've, you you want to give them their credit? Obviously, we're well aware that they're all listening to this right now in the dressing room and they're already kind of dreading what's about to come here. But, um, Joe, we'll start with you. I don't, I don't think it's individual. I think it's individuals and it will be the defensive line. Mm-hmm. You know, I think since we last recorded, the defence has got so much better. And we're having clean sheets after clean sheets. Uh, I believe at the start of the season, everyone was saying we're going to have to score, you know, four or five goals to win a game because we're conceding so much. And that has totally changed. And I think that is apparent when we see that in the first half, we're not as good as we are in the, uh, than what we are in the second half. But I think that is just, let's keep it, let's not concede. Let's play, you know, the percentages and, Let's be a bit more conservative with our play in the first half. And then in the second half, let's pounce. And that's what we've been doing. And I think the defence, especially I, I'd like to call out Carl Bartley, because I think really we thought his time was up, you know, and he took his he took his extra year. You know, it was in his interest to take his extra year. And we were like, oh, we got him for another year. But he's put the effort in. He knows he's not going to be here next year. And he's still putting the effort in. So I just think the defensive line, since losing Dara O'Shea, I think we all had a bit of a, you know, we were a bit upset about losing Dara O'Shea. But Kipre's come in and taken over his spot, you know, and he showed, he's doing it kind of better. Is it? Too, yeah, I was going to say, is that controversial to say I actually think we're better than we were with Dara O'Shea? I think we are. Especially under Corbrand's football, I think Kipre suits Corbrand's football more than Dara shaded. I've been love Kipre. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, yeah, I just I think also that that is that is it a blessing in disguise? John Swift did get injured for a couple of uh, weeks. I know he's coming back now. I think we need him back now. Mm-hmm. But it's shown that 
we have got strength in numbers because I think we were all unsure when Swift got injured. What how are we going to do? And we've done well since he's got injured. Well, admittedly, since... he was the only person creating and scoring goals, wasn't he? Effectively, if John Swift wasn't involved, Albion didn't score. So I I understand where our hesitancy comes from. But like I say, I think for you, it's kind of like others have had to step up in his absence, and they really have. Yeah, yeah. and then you've got the, the thing is. Since that, you've got to see the likes of. Um, I don't know. Charles young Mendes, winger. Yes. Young winger. Tom Fellows. Tom Fellows. You get to see uh, Tom Fellows coming on, and he's he's very. Uh, he reminds me of like a young Wallace. He's very direct down yeah, the line, gets to the absolutely. byline, and puts it in. And he's just an old fashioned winger. And I think people are scared of that. You know, now because people don't do that, they normally you normally have a tricky winger who cuts in, tries mm-hmm. to go in the box, and you know. And I like him coming on. I think it's it's really good, and especially with the likes of when we start getting, we've seen DK and Magic coming back to training. I know DK isn't going to be back for a, a month or so, especially for fitness. But with the likes of them coming back, it can only be positive, can't it? Mm-hmm. I think that's where managers make their money now, really. Like, if you've only got 11 players, what can you do? But the ability to juggle personalities and talent and and kind of keep everyone happy and still get the performances, that's where you kind of... That's where the, the top top professional managers make their money. Alex, I think everyone knows where you're going to go with your kind of standout player over the last 11 weeks. I think it's rightful that we give you the opportunity to to just share your heart, really, um, and just, like, wax lyrical with wonderful platitudes about, I could only assume you're going to say one person. Yeah, I think Matt Phillips has been fantastic. <laughs> uh, Dean Garner, um, yeah. I mean, Dean Garner, he's, what a player. Um, and before I go into waxing lyrical about Dean Garner, I'd just like to uh, reinforce Joe's point around the defence. Uh, we've only conceded seven goals in the last 11 games. So since we've done the last podcast, we've conceded seven and scored 15. Uh, so that's like that's a brilliant ratio. Uh, for every goal that we concede, we're scoring approximately two goals. Mm-hmm. So that's if we can keep that up to the end of the season, I think we'll be uh, laughing. Um, but yeah, in terms of Dean Garner... Uh, He's just such a, he is a confidence player and I think he's getting used to Corbyn uh, as a manager and he's really excelling at the moment. Yeah, he doesn't always, his tricks don't always come off, but when they do come off, it's just like the, the crowd are in awe. Um, you know, some of the things he tries, you know, some people can't even imagine. Um, but yeah, just long may it continue. Um, but not just Ian Garner. I think, you know, I joked about Matt Phillips, but he's been cracking uh, the last, you know, f- few games. And Wallace has turned up the uh, the volume as well. And even Asante, um, you know, he tries hard. Uh, he's, he's, he's looked the part. And you just go through the whole team. Uh, Palmer's looked sharp. You know, it's, you can't complain at all, really. You really struggle for, for negatives, uh, which is, you know, this time last year, Corbyn had just come in, uh, but you know he's, he's a miracle worker, isn't he? Mm, he is indeed. I think it's interesting. I think the main difference I know, obviously, performance-wise, 
I think Dan Gardner has been absolutely electric over the last few games. I think he he seems to play better in the second half than the first half. He seems to really come to life in the second half. I don't know. I don't know whether that you can just say, well, that's why Albion looked better in the second half. But there definitely is a a marked difference between first half Grady and second half Grady. And it's one of the things that I'd comment on about Grady Dean Garner is that for someone who plays such a flamboyant, exciting like style of football, he never looks to me like he loves football. He never looks like he's enjoying being like expressive. And over the last few weeks, I've, I've seen that change. I, I see a bloke who's enjoying what he's doing again. I think the last few seasons, he's obviously struggled for confidence so desperately. And he, every time something didn't come off, you'd see the weight of the world on his shoulders. He, he just wasn't coping well with not being as able to do what he wanted to do. And whereas now I think particularly after the, who was it? The Hall game, I think it was. And he was in front of the Brummy Road end and he was doing that thing where they did a slow, very kind of media-friendly clapping around all four signs of the the ground and, and they, they never waved to us in our little corner, in the Woodman corner. No matter how frantically me, Alex and the, um, Carly and the boys and dad and Steph wave at them, they never wave back. But then before the, just when he got to the ground, he did like some real like big pumping of the crowd, which is like a move that I just don't ever see Grady Dean Garner doing. He seems to be kind of like a chilled, quiet, like um, like out in the shadows kind of guy. Whereas that was like this real, he's enjoying this. He's, he's loving life. I think for my player that I really want to kind of um, just give a lot of credit to is, Nathaniel Chalabar, the turnaround in Chalabar. I'm not sure I've seen like like a redemption arc at the Albion quite like it in, in recent years. There have been a lot of players that have come to Albion in the last decade or so and struggled, been really poor transfers. I'm sure we could sit here and name half a dozen of them, like Ollie Burks and, and various others where they've come in not hit the ground running, struggled for form, fallen out of favour, and they just disappear, and you never hear about them again. Chalabat was on that path, and particularly then with the kind of, was it like the confrontation at Stoke away? Was it Stoke away, something like that? And you really thought then with the fans booing at him and such at home that that was it, Chalabat was done. And it just seemed like a bit of a disastrous. But he's transformed from that into this, really powerful, technically capable uh, holding midfielder. And he's got a, a beautiful range of passing, aggressive in tackles. I don't know if it was not quite fit or what was happening or wasn't quite up to match speed because of the time in the season that he joined us. But he has been a different player. In fact, there's been plenty of games where he's been potentially the best of our midfield options um, and it's it's just so strange for me that at the start of this season, when you thought about the players that were really going to make a difference, you would have highlighted, I guess, a few of the characters. But three of the top players that made a difference, I'm pretty sure that if you'd asked all of us, um, were people that we could, we would have unhappily seen to go out the door. Cedric Kipre, we were all happy for him to shift. Alex Moa and Chalaba, I think they weren't, popular um and like Alex has rightly just said in our chat here that like Jason Malumbi who was everyone's player of the season he can't get a look in all of a sudden and and I don't think that's necessarily speaks ill of Jason Malumbi it just shows how strong the other three are playing and 
we all know how much of a fan I am of OK Kushlu, but I say that Chalaber and Mowat presently are probably the strongest two midfielders we've got. We're just going to take a short break and then we'll come back again to chat some more. Right, so we'll continue our conversation. Perhaps this is like a sensible point to move to the man at the centre of um, and the mastermind of this renaissance at the club, this second renaissance under Carlos Corbran. Obviously, we're all huge fans of Carlos Corbran, but I think at the start of this season, you, you were starting to hear a few rumbles of discontent, a few grumbles about certain decisions, some in-game management stuff, some team selections, etc. But I think it's fair to say that he's demonstrated really in the past few months just how much of a special talent we have at manager presently. And I think we're, we're really starting to see a stamp of what he wants to do at the club in terms of playing style and how and how truly effective. And I think there was something that was said um, at the start of last season on the Not The Top 20 podcast where effectively they were describing Albion's squad and saying that Steve Bruce had a, a net negative effect on the playing squad, that it didn't matter how good the playing squad it was, it would be perform less than the sum of its parts purely because Steve Bruce was at the helm. I think we now are in the opposite category. We go against teams that perhaps line up on paper with individually perhaps better teams, even Southampton on um, Saturday. But Corbin provides us with such an edge and advantage that I really don't... There's no team that genuinely I feel fearful of going into. And it's it comes back to that uh, saying, I'm sure we said in here, in, Car- in Carlos we trust... What do you guys, um, where are you all at with Corbyn? Are, are you as much in love as ever? Yeah, um, I think Corbyn, in the end of the day, uh, all our managers have dealt the worst hand, uh, especially off the field. Transfers-wise, he hasn't had really a look in. Um, loans, free transfers, those type of things. Oh, and that's wow. hard as a manager. Um to be fair, when we've got a decent skeleton squad, but you do want to add, add your own quality to fit under your own team. You don't want to be making and changing the capability of the squad to suit your way of working. But he's done that, and he's just, I think it's incredible to show. I I just think it's incredible how we still got him at the Albion. I think, I think that says it all, to be honest, because I think he's a manager that needs time um, to implement his strategies and tactics and whatnot. But he's just had a full season, basically. I think it was a game or two ago uh, in at the Albion. And... I don't know the stats, but I would say we've won majority. Well, we haven't lost a lot of those matches, to be honest. And um, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can what he can do with some money. If we get some money from somewhere, take over, whatever. I just want to see what he could do with it because I don't think he would be someone who splashed the cash. I think he'll just get good quality players just to add 
to the uh, team. He doesn't look like he he wants showboaty players. He wants quality, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He wants good characters, and I think that's what we're seeing. And like we mentioned before with Dean Garner, the happiness around the squad. I think the players just like working for him and in any job if you like working for your manager you're gonna kind of perform better aren't you so I think that just shows all of it yeah I think it's fair to say he's he's arguably our our biggest asset at the club presently despite how much we've gone about Dean Garner and various other players I think our strength lies in Corbin really out we again we know how much you adore Corbin but do you want to share some of your thoughts and feelings, mate? Yeah, um, I just think Corbin, like, his his hands are tied to some extent. He's, he's, it's like he's having a fight with just one arm uh, at the moment. And you know, if we if he's on if if the other arm is released by a bit of extra funding, then you know, I think he's you know, I think he's unstoppable. Really, I think the sky's his limit. But um, you know, he's he's brought such a, a good a feel good factor back to the Hawthorns. You know, similar to perhaps Hodgson days, perhaps not that extreme, but uh, you know, I think he's, he's if we can keep hold of him um, for as long as possible, you know, I think we've got an exciting future ahead. But I'd I'd be surprised if you know top clubs don't start showing an interest. You know, he's he's of that Bielsa kind of uh, group, uh, you know, he's, he, he works incredibly hard as well behind the scenes. It's pretty obvious uh, that he does as well. Uh, a great personality. Uh, he seems like a loyal bloke too. So, yeah, kudos to Corbin. Yeah, I think it was something that you used to hear mentioned a lot about Graham Potter and you still hear it about the Brighton setup, but how... A lot of modern day coaches have seemed to have lost the ability to coach and that Graham Potter had kind of built this reputation of taking players that perhaps didn't look on paper like anything much more than relegation strugglers or players from parts of the world that you'd never really even think to look for football players. And he was somehow able to coach them and through training, make them better football players. It's like when we used to play football as kids, the idea of the coach wasn't to go out and find better kids to replace us. The idea was to train us and make us better individuals. And And Alex was a very talented footballer and me and Joe also tried as well, but it's, there is something that is lost in modern football about coaches and their ability to improve players. And because of the way the transfer market functions, whenever there's like an inadequacy in the squad, you think, well, we need a new body there. We need a new body. But Corbyn is not just able to kind of tactically make us better. The players are genuinely better. Like Kyle Bartley, Alex, you mentioned he's in his, what, mid-30s, and he genuinely looks better than he did five years ago. Um, You've got Darnell Furlong, Chalabert, Dean Garner, all of these players, that Matt Phillips even, who are perhaps at various different stages of their career, and yet Corbin seems to be improving them as football players. And that's like a, a quality that you don't find in many managers nowadays. And I think... The, the the big fight we've got really is not so much kind of um, 
it's more or less how long do we keep him for? I can't see a scenario where Albion will ever want to get rid of Corbyn, really. Um, but it, you, you, the only thing you fear is if it continues as successfully as it is, it is only really a matter of time before, as you both said, the big boys come sniffing around, uh, the sharks start circling and s- sniffing blood, etc. So we'll see how that lands. Let's kind of move towards the the end of our conversation tonight. Obviously, there's been certain developments about the off the field issues. Alex, you've just referred to it there as perhaps that if one arm was untied, um, Corbyn would be able to um, perform even greater feats of the miraculous and such. He'll be able to do whatever he wants, I think, at that point, to be walking across water to get to training. But... um, the story broke a couple of weeks ago. I think it was um, Adrian Goldberg on the Liquidator who made this report that there were seemed to be some real um, strong links to uh, an American consortium, um, owners of the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. So it had all of the the monetary kind of tick boxes that you wanted ticks, but it all also had the sexiness and the flashiness that we all wanted ticked. Do you know what I mean? Like Tom Brady going to blues. And it's one thing to have some uh, strange cryptocurrency billionaire take over your club that you never heard of. But when it's got money and there's a little bit of a, a glamour to it as well, I think it does make it a tad exciting. Um, so Adrian Goldberg spoke about this, but they also, then there was photos of this mystery man pictured in the in attendance. I think that was at the whole game as well. And um, people quickly put two and two together and, and worked out that it was this um, seemingly famous sports lawyer that's involved in a lot of takeovers in the EFL. So, again, it seems to be the case that there's something happening off the field that we're only catching, like, kind of crumbs that fall from the bread table, so to speak, um, and, and fall into our ear holes. Um and although the information is limited, as again our good friend Johnny Drury on the on the Express and Starbag is broadcast, he always makes note that like no news is kind of a good thing because of like non disclosure acts and stuff around takeover talks. That when when it's all in the press, it's it, it's sometimes not a great sign because very often these things happen and then are just announced because of the nature of business and finance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But nonetheless, there does seem to be something bubbling away beneath the surface. And it's it's really interestingly timed. We've had this uptick of form and now all of a sudden there's this potential takeover and good news. What Have you two been tracking it? Even this Tom Fellow story about a potential move for him being blocked. What do you guys make of it all? Does it matter to you if it's flashy or is it just a beggars can't be choosers situation? Oh, it'd be lovely. It'd be flashy, wouldn't it? You know, having someone like who uh, the guys who own Villa, who splash the cash willy nilly, and the uh, Villa fans always come back. When well, we sold Jack Greenish, they still <laughs> spent loads of money. Yeah, you know, you know, I'd love to have that, but I think for us, since though we've been through this, it'd be nice to have someone who looks after the club, as the heart, you know, heart of the club has the interest of the club at the uh, the owner's heart and starts, you know, we had stories about us might be failing our 
you know, our youth facilities, you know, start putting money into those things and bringing us up and not, you know, and not becoming like a Man United where their stadium's dilapidated, you know, and I don't want those. I think that's what we need. Obviously, we need money on the field. That's the must. You know, we need to reinvest in our manager and his contract, I would straight away, and reinvest in the youth and just general things around the area about Albion, maybe the uh, the game, the match day facilities around, because I think Albion really fails compared to a lot of clubs around the Championship and Premier League. You know, like, let's put some money into that and make people actually go to the ground early. I know, Alex, you go to the ground early anyway, but it'd be nice that you could go outside the ground and actually do stuff outside the ground, you know, like instead of going into the stadium. I just think that's what I would like. I'd like a, a owner who invests in the whole club, not just on the field. And I think Americans, yeah, if it's Americans, if it's these uh, NFL owners that come in, that's brilliant. But it doesn't make a difference if it's flashy. I'd rather the owner not be flashy, to be honest, because I think it brings too much attention and people put their prices up, everything. You know, I'd want someone who's got a bit of money and looks after the club. Alex is actually already in the stadium presently waiting for the Ipswich game. Um, so just, just you know, keep your eye on, on the stadium as you go past and, and just check in on Alex if you if you see him there. Yeah, I should check uh, behind my sofa as well to see if there's any money, um, see if I can buy the club. But I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting like a Saudi Arabian uh, owner to come in like they have at Newcastle and start, you know, literally uh, changing the, you know, having a massive impact, like turning them into a, a world beater. But, you know, even if they just come in and not take money out of the club, like Lyre's done, um, you know, <laughs> as long as they have a positive impact on the club, um, you know, they stabilise it. Um, you know, steady investment, similar to Jeremy Peace, I'd be completely happy with that, uh, you know, until we reach the Premier League and then perhaps invest a bit more. Um, and I think with with Corbyn, I think he's a very, uh, he's, 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 he's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's very okay. like, Sorry, sorry, Jamie. What was That's it? Fair. Yeah, I, I astute. Think, astute. Yeah, I think he can do a lot with a little. Um, so I think, um, yeah, bring bring any owner in uh, to the one that has a positive impact. There, I think I'm very much just. I want Patrick Mahomes to be the owner of the Albion now. I just, for me, and um, I don't know. There's um. It's such a, I think there's a lot that can be said for the media kind of, the personality of the the club as reflected in the media. I think you just have to look around certain teams and how popular they are because of certain personalities around them, even like your Brightons, your Brentfords and all of these people. I think Albion are still very much in the associations with like characters like Tony Pulis, etc. So... Um, there you go, Alex. Do you want to say the word that you've you've come up with for Corbin? Yeah, thrifty. Uh, that's the word I was looking for. What do you say, thrifty in Spanish? El thrifty. Shall I see? 
Yeah, you Google that while I have a little chat. Um, I think for me, um, it's interesting. Me and my dad was speaking about it on the phone the other day. It's, it's going to be a strange thing. I think the takeover is almost certainly on the horizon at this point. I just think for me, when you look at the time scale and and when, if I was a prospective by a billionaire owner, a hur- go on, Alex, say it in Spanish, sorry. He's muted. It's not silent. There's two ways that you can say it. Uh, so there's uh, a horativo Ooh, or there's a uh, economico. Economico. That's very good. For me, it's, like I say, this time scale, like I think if I was a billionaire looking to buy the club, I think you, you'd want to be buying it before January. You'd have to think they don't want to file sale, fire sale at the club. And you've already heard mention that there's been this move block for Tom Fellows. A, a couple of the, the, the top end championship clubs have been apparently interested in buying Tom Fellows and the prospective owners have had enough influence to say, please don't pull the trigger on that. And, for me, that's encouraging because it obviously says that they must have a certain level of feet under the table for that them to even be able to kind of influence those decisions. But I think for me, if you were an owner, you'd want to be in so that it's not just that the club doesn't sell players in January, so that you can make a difference potentially in January. And I think in terms of the legacy then of lie, which is a really interesting conversation. And like I said, me and dad were talking about it the other day. It's interesting because I think if lie does sell us to owners with our best interest in heart he'll have actually done us a bigger favor than jeremy peace ever did jeremy peace sold us to people who never ever really had us interest in heart for a massive amount of money that we clearly weren't worth just to line his own pockets he's had loans as well that was taken out against the club that were never repaid exactly the same way as lie was. And I've got to be totally truthful as much as I'm very much light out. I think a lot of the decisions he made or his ownership made um, just felt very, very unlucky and were just on the wrong side of history, even to the point where they backed Pulis and spent a monstrous amount of money. Um, the appointment of Valerian Ishmael and various sort of different things. Bear in mind, you've got the Slav Bilic, era in the lie um with with lie as well and i think that we'll look back on the lie era as obviously a really a kind of a strangely dark period in the club but if it brings us to like an owner that really does take albion to the next level i genuinely think we'll have more to thank lie for than jeremy peace anyway that's just my opinion though that's not necessarily the opinion of the hawthorne Spade club so can i can i ask you a question jamie which if lie repaid his loans um, you know, and booked his ideas up. Would you allow redemption of him? Uh, you know, would you? I think, I think the issue with lies and so much him personally. I think it's that, like the the, the way it's in the way the money that he invested initially was tied up in Chinese politics means that as soon as there was like a policy change in China, it limited what he could do in England anyway, and he doesn't sound like a man who's cash rich. And so I think the problem was, is even if he, with the best intentions of the world, he just, there is no money. It's not that he's not necessarily spending it. He doesn't have the money. So in a hypothetical situation where money came from somewhere and he attempted the redemption arc storyline to um, go from zero to hero. Yeah, of course. I mean, 
I think ultimately the big the big black mark against um lies the fact that he took the money out i think that's like it's truly abysmal that he took it out against albion and basically threatened the future of our club for his other business interests i do think that is genuinely that's an absolutely terrible thing however however i think the 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 kind of the halo that we kind of put on jerry peace's head is just so undeserved it's 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 unreal really i think he was a uh, the opposite of thrifty he was like a greedy business owner effectively that basically did a deal that really has been one of the the reasons that we haven't been able to invest over the last few years because he basically charged over those i'm not saying what i'm saying is necessarily popular but um I just can't stand the kind of Jeremy Peace worship. It just seems so when I feel like he he basically is partly responsible for the position that we currently find ourselves in. Does that is that like a crap answer to what you just asked me? No, no, I think that's a really good answer. Um, yeah, it's I, I totally agree with it as well, Jamie. Um, I mean, I with Peace, I I, I like the way that he ran the club, like it was austerity wasn't it you know only spend what we make whereas i think um you know selling the club like he did to irresponsible owners uh for ridiculous price yeah you could challenge uh, whether that was corporately corporately uh responsible but at the end of the day you know he's you know business is business isn't it um but if he's an Albion fan, then that's not a very uh, it wasn't a very good thing to do, was it? But yeah, it's interesting what you say around the redemption arc. Like, but I think it was deplorable what Lloyd did uh, to put the Albion in this position where you know the financial stability of the club in the future's in jeopardy. Um, you know, obviously that that even if he does kind of redeem himself, that's still kind of that would linger, wouldn't it? I don't think there's any chance because I think he's he wants out more than we want him out. And I know that sounds like, that doesn't sound possible, but I, I genuinely think that they are so determined to get out. Um, well, they, they obviously are. They're taking a huge loss just to get rid of the asset. Um, and for me, like I say, I think if anything, he'll leave Albion potentially into moving into a better future than Jerry Peace did, which is, it's it's strange and it feels like me just like dunking on Jerry Peace from out of complete, out of the blue. Um, yeah, I don't know. I could be very, very wrong and who knows what the next owners will be like. I think that's been a nice way to rejoin the podcast world. Joe, you've linked to an article here. Is this podcast worthy article? No, it's just Jack. Oh, it's Greenish, just a picture of Jack Greenish in a barber's chair. Wonderful. <laughs> he's had his haircut. Yeah, he's had his haircut. Oh, lovely. Well, there you go. What a lovely. He, lo- he looks like Jordan Henderson, I think. Okay. Copycat. Right. Well, it's been lovely to chat with you both again. Have you enjoyed doing a podcast? Yeah, tired. Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoyed the conversation at the end around. It's. I suppose it's like the the present versus the legacy, you know. Well, Alex, if you've enjoyed it, you can leave us a review on Spotify. Um, 
five star review us mate um i think we might do another one at some point in the future next international break get our get our our mouths around the microphones once again at that point but until we decide to do that let me say a huge thank you to you alex Cummins. thank you a huge thank you to you joseph clay yes thank you for listening this week to the hawthorne's bay club and we'll see you next week <laughs> so-